श्री कृष्ण जन्माष्टमी महामोत्सव तीति की जाय और भक्त वृंद की जाय बहुत प्रेम आनंदे गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन वेलकम हरे कृष्णा so this evening's program has commenced and um we'll continue until the uh, midnight aarti and kirtan followed by mahaprasadam and um for those of you who have arrived more recently this uh this morning we began of course early and um later in the morning at 10 we had some discussion for a couple of hours on a far ranging uh field of topics um involving determination uh, determinism destiny free will um uh, the the uh, limits of reason uh, the nature of of vilila in relation to the nature of the world and so forth uh, and we had good good questions so that's 50% of the whole <laughs> the whole um setting so tonight of course uh we're going to shift a little more directly into some discussion uh that is centered around the event the appearance the birth of krishna birth of the unborn merly are you listening you forgot my my book i want to speak a little bit tonight to begin from bhagavad gita what does bhagavad gita have to do with the uh, birth of krishna that uh, we'll have to look at um and in this regard i wanted to start the discussions tonight with some tattva or uh some underlying uh knowledge that um out of which the the leela the divine play of krishna's birth and activities arise hmm? that's an important uh foundation ground the ground of the stage if you will on which the drama of the leela is performed has to be erected in our hearts and then we can say coming to a theater near you hmm, soon um so <laughs> that uh this is a certain kind of knowledge knowledge about the nature of of uh, krishna and bhakti and so forth hmm? in fact without that uh in place it's difficult to progress hmm simply by chanting it could be said that by chanting we'll become disposed towards such and and gather then a firm footing standing on which to continue uh, in spite of the winds of the world to pursue our uh life as a as a sadhaka a practitioner hmm? um and the winds are can be strong so a good dose of sadhu sangha association and that association should be such that it that knowledge is uh, shared transmitted knowledge of course an example as well in the invisible hmm, feeling that the speaker conveyed to the audience creates the 
the samskaras, bhakti samskaras, which will make in due course our bhakti, our practice, kind of second nature, with a favorable wind behind it, and and refine it in terms of its uh, particulars. There are different expressions of bhakti within the one philosophical overriding parameter, then the one, the the the, the, the bade, the the abade, I should say, the non-difference. One philosophy that that is such that it gives rise to varieties of expression, both in the realm of service in this world and and in the inner meditative world, the real world, as we like to say. So, let us turn to Bhagavad Gita and the fourth chapter. You're all familiar with the Bhagavad Gita, most of us. Maybe Arthur, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Bhagavad Gita, but it's, uh, it is like the, the Bible of Hinduism in a sense, that it's most probably widely known and circulated core uh, texts out of the sacred texts of the Hindus that uh, is a very kind of distilled form of, of uh, really of all the, the sacred texts and gives a kind of a spiritual uh, intelligence to us and direction how to proceed. So in the first six chapters of the Gita, the, the, the subject, interestingly enough, is you or us which is a pretty good way to start out. If you are reading a book and you find it's all about you, and it's pretty attractive. And it says things about us that are very um, very becoming, um, very amazing, in fact. And um, the second six chapters, then there's a turn... There's 18 altogether, so we have three sections of six. After speaking about us, then the speaker speaks about himself. There's an Upanishadic dictum, Tattvamasi, you may be familiar with it, Tattvamasi. There's a, uh, the, the most, um, perhaps from a, um, I guess, etymological point of view, the best translation is, Thou, you are his. Tattvamasi. So, tvam means you and tat means his. It could mean that, but his is, makes more sense. How can you be that? Hmm? How can you be that? Hmm? But you could be his. That makes sense. And the, the dictums should make some sense. Right? <laughs> so, having spoken about us, the speaker speaks about himself. Hmm? And the theology of the Gita, then, and in the last six chapters, is the the metaphysics of the Gita, hmm? um, important section, to say the least. But um, this middle section, the theology, appears a little early in a short, brief way as an aside in the early six chapters, which is peculiar about them because they are principally about about us. Of course, when I say us, I mean what we are, what we are is, as I often say, we are not this or that. Neti, neti. This, I'm not American, I'm not Indian, I'm not a man, I'm not a woman. This, that, whatever it is, is a, s- a very small idea. Hmm? 
however big it may seem in our minds, it's as small as our minds are, which are pretty small even if they're big. <laughs> even the big-minded amongst us is <laughs> still a small thing. So I'm not this or that. Hmm? I might think I'm American. I might think I'm a, a man, a woman. I might think I'm a daughter. and Later, I might think I'm a mother, and I might be right in one sense in all of those uh, conclusions, but they're all passing, right, with time. They're not enduring. They're not real in that sense. We can't rely upon them. They'll change. They'll transform uh, before our eyes. So one thing that is, is continuous in the identification of with this or that of the world is what? If I say, I am this or I am that, I'm American, I'm Indian, I'm man, I'm woman, I'm black, I'm white, I'm Catholic, I'm Hindu. Um, something's changing and something's remaining the same. The this and the that are the changing, what's remaining the same? Who can say? I am. That hasn't changed. I am this, I am that. The this and the that are changing, but the I am is remaining. Hmm? This is what we know. This is the only thing we know <laughs> by experience. Unless we've had good association, we could know a little more. But we know that we exist. This is what life is about in one sense. What's out there and who's looking at it? Who's observing it? Who's thinking about it? Who's making matter matter? Where does the meaning and the value come from? It derives from the subjective inner world, which is a world often dismissed. It's not being real, hmm? imaginary, unreliable, whereas the physical world that we can measure to some extent and harness to some extent is thought to be the real world. But it really doesn't matter. We can't do any of the measurements and observations without that subjective self, hmm? I. Do you know what the most um, popular word in the English language is? Who can say, besides Gorgovinda, who's nodding his head? What is, the most, what is the most used word in the English language? What's the most used word in the Spanish language? Okay, anybody speak any other languages here? Huh? So, the point is, an I, in all the languages, is the most used word, and it's the least understood. What is I? So, a unit of value, a, a unit of purpose and meaning that posits meaning on matter. This morning we were talking a little bit about it. A stone is an idea. It's a thought. Things are thoughts. There are the basic ingredients of things, but when they become things, particulars, that means they're thoughts. We've thought that certain things combined in a certain way are a house, a car, uh, a church, hmm. as may be the case. So thought, things are thoughts. So we move from the objective world to the subjective world. And if we can navigate the course there, there's something very rich to be mined hmm, in the subjective world. And it begins with your own self, right? Hmm. So... Again, this is very much the subject of the first six chapters of the Gita, what I am, which 
is different than what I think I am, which is a very small-minded thing in comparison. In this world, the unfortunate uh, reality is that one living being is food for another. One person's feast is another person's funeral. Hmm? So, not a pretty picture. Hmm? The picture that the Gita is presenting is, is very different and much more beautiful. Hmm? And it speaks in a kind of, well, indirect way about the self. Why I say indirect? Because the self's not like anything hmm, in the world. There's nothing to compare it to. It's a unit of experiential reality, and matter is experienced. Hmm? To think that experience arises out of non-experience is not a very well thought out idea. Hmm? It's, a, it's a popular idea, but it's not very well thought out. Hmm? So, uh, the wonder hmm, of the self, what can you say about it? Krishna said a fair amount, but a lot of it's indirect. To actually describe consciousness, again, it, 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 it transcends words and thought. There, it is said that there are, uh, there are uh, the best things in life are not things. Neither are they thoughts about things, which is what most of our thoughts are about. The Gita seeks, seeks to redirect our thoughts From the perspective of Vedanta, there's a physical matter and there's a psychic matter. This psychic matter is a a tool that can be used to turn the whole thing around from an experience of hunting and being hunted. I said one living being is food for another, which is not a very pretty place. Turn it around from a world of taking exploiting out of a sense of need, having identified with something that doesn't endure, all these thises and thats that we identify with are changing, so to hang on to them is a struggle. Hmm? Of course, we won't be able to, but without knowing it otherwise, we try, hmm? and we're a little mean. It's just unavoidable uh, given the circumstances. So we're... We are feeling somewhat empty, so we try to add on. Hmm? But we're adding on something that's, that's of a different nature than ourselves. Matter. It doesn't, it's not a good fit. So we try, and material nature seems to present opportunities, facilities that might, if we add them to our life, we think make it f- fulfilled. But these, this is a perpetual carrot. Right? It's a per- perpetual appetizer. And no square meal ever comes, the result of which is a good case of ongoing indigestion. Hmm? So, so if we can, how to convert this, to change the situation, in other words, how to turn ourself from being a taker into being a, a lover, a giver. Love is about giving. Hmm? This is the what the yoga of the Gita is about. So having talked a little bit about the self, as much as one can speak about that, which is difficult to define because there's nothing to compare it to, and we define things by comparing them to other things. Hmm? But having asserted that, that there is such a 
experiential reality. I mean, it's hard to imagine that there's not. That's all we really know, as I've said. Hmm? In our tradition, it's not whether you believe you have a soul. You can't ask, do you believe that you have consciousness? I mean, it's a silly question. You can't ask the question without consciousness. Hmm? So it's not a question of believing in the Gita, in the soul. It's a question of defining, if you will, something we are all very familiar with, consciousness. Hmm? Something we cannot escape. Remember, at the bottom of everything. Hmm? It is said that you can dismiss that which uh, doesn't endure as being not real. That's why we, for example, dismiss oftentimes our dreams because the things come and they go and, okay, life goes on. We forget about the dreams. They don't endure. Hmm? So as much as a thing doesn't endure, well, it doesn't have any, it's not real in an, in an enduring sense. Hmm? But consciousness is that thing which cannot be dismissed because the very act of dismissal is rooted in consciousness itself. So it's the bottom of everything. Hmm? And we're of that nature. And it's very different in nature from our material sense of self. So this is good news of the Gita. And as I said, having emphasized this point, Krishna will go on in the sixth chapter, then having talked about ourselves in a beautiful way, in a very becoming way, in a very complimentary way, very flattering way, he will begin to talk about himself. But here, in relative to our gathering, Krishna Janmashtami, in the fourth chapter, prior to the middle six chapters, he segues slightly into a little bit of theology. Hmm? And here, the first place in the Gita, bhakti is mentioned directly. Hmm? When speaking about the self earlier on, hmm, having done so, and enlivened, so to speak, Arjuna at a prospect of of a more to life than what meets the eye and mind, but not being able to capture it and arrest it in the fist of one's intellect and understand it, hmm? Krishna then begins to speak about yoga, a different way of knowing, hmm? kind of an inverse way of, of knowing. We're accustomed to knowing by way of gathering information through our senses and then filing it and pulling it out to support our sense of self, promote ourself, uh, 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 and so forth. Yoga is about, essentially, a different kind of knowledge that, while ordinary knowledge we can put on our agenda, we find that this knowledge mandates that we become part of its agenda. That's very, very different. There's a big switch here. I look at the world, we look at the world as if we are the subject, matter is the object. Hmm? It's true to some sense, some extent, that's a fact. Hmm? But as Krishna begins to introduce himself here, hmm, a little theology and the idea of bhakti, he's introducing a super-self in relation to which we look more like matter. Hmm? We look more like an object, hmm. subject to his whim, if you will, as matter appears to be subject to ours. Hmm. So we're consciousness, but we, 
We're not the whole picture. We're a spark. There's the fire, the source. There's the smoke. There's the heat and the light. So they seem very different, fire and smoke, but they go together, don't they? Smoke is part of fire. In this analogy, if you will, it's, smoke means the influence of, of matter over us. How can matter have an influence over us? When we said we give meaning to matter, we give value to matter. Hmm? It's something like, I've given an example before, if you turn on the television, well, then it has a life. But it could take over your life. It's also possible. And that's a problem. <laughs> so, so this is the problem we find ourselves in. Yes, we are consciousness. We are superior to matter and constitution, but we're small. Hmm? And so a spark can get caught in the smoke in its capacity to illumine, limited as it is anyway, becomes that much more obscured. Hmm? In a fire, there's smoke. Smoke is entirely like different from fire. Fire illumines, smoke obscures. But hmm? fire, smoke is an, is, an, is an aspect, a potency of the fire. Hmm? In this analogy, again, Smoke is the obscuring influence of matter. We call it maya, maya. It means many things. One of the things is to measure. We are constantly trying to measure. That means to get a control of, control things. Okay, things are in control now. It's okay. Hmm. Something like that. Huh? This is a uh, good try, but you're not in control. Right? So... To think that one can measure it, bring it within the fist of uh, the grasp of oneself and control it, that is an illusion, that is maya. Hmm? has other effects as well. So the smoke obscures the spark, and then there's the fire, and there's heat and light. So we have a fire, it generates heat, light, smoke, sparks and smoke. Hmm? Here we have the whole Godia. Um, tattva, in a, in a sense. We have maya, shakti, material nature. We have the spark, the jiva, and we have the heat and light of the fire. Heat and light means, light means illumination, knowledge, knowing, samvit. And heat means feeling, ladini, Love, bliss. In this analogy, the heat and light are the swarup shakti. We have swarup shakti, jiva shakti, maya shakti. They're one with the fire in the analogy we're giving and different at the same time. The smoke is more different. The heat and light are more more like the fire. Hmm? This heat and light is in, in our world of Vedanta the essence of the heat and light of the fire that is God is bhakti. Bhakti is constituted of this. Of this. It, it illumines and, it, and it, it, it gives feeling, potential for feeling. But I should say potential for feeling lies within us. Potential. Consciousness touches subtle matter and, there, and then life is emotional. I mean, 
That is our life, our emotional life, because consciousness touches subtle matter. Subtle matter can reflect consciousness and a semblance of the emotional life and potential of consciousness itself hmm, manifests in the world. Hmm. So that consciousness has potential for emotional life, but in order to have emotional life, well, we have to have an environment and we have to have somebody to love. We just need someone to love. That's all. Hmm? You need a significant consciousness other to realize the fullness of your potential as a unit of ananda, of sat, enduring existence of chit, being cognizant rather than inert, and with the capacity to love. You can love yourself. You're lovable. I can guarantee you that. Hmm? The self is the object of love in the world. We don't love the Upanishads, say, our mother. We don't love the father. We don't love this or that. We love ourselves. What does it mean? The little word my, my father, my mother, my daughter, is, 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 speaks about how we, the self, project ourself into others and other things, and then they have meaning for us. It's my car, so if something happens to it, it's a problem. If I hear that your car got a flat tire, it's not a big deal. Unless I really identify with you. Hmm? You understand? So what really is lovable is the self. Hmm? The object of love in the world is the self. How can you love matter? It can't reciprocate. reciprocate. Love is created on a scale of reciprocal dealings. Hmm? Consciousness can reciprocate, but... hmm? But, but, has to have someone to, <laughs> to reciprocate with. So, in the consciousness world, in the subjective world, super-subjective world, there's a significant other. Hmm? He's the fire. Hmm? He's known by his nature to heat and light. Hmm? So, so, having, anyway, talked about the self, hmm? talked about yoga, Yoga as a, as a means of knowing that which cannot be known by words and thoughts. That which is beyond thought, beyond word. That doesn't mean we can't talk about it or think about it, but we can't say enough about it. Hmm? We cannot capture it in words and thoughts. So we need a different way of knowing. Hmm? A kind of inverse way of knowing. And this is yoga. Hmm? It's a trans rational exercise. An exercise that picks up where reason leaves off and takes us to a place where reason unto itself cannot. And that's reasonable. It's reasonable to pursue that. Krishna has spoken about the self with good reasoning as to its existence, what it is, what can he say about it. It's not this and it's not that, he says. It can't be burned, it can't be withered by the wind, it can't be drowned. And he ultimately concludes saying, Aschajavat, it's amazing. That's what it is. It's amazing. You are amazing, hmm? is what he says. Hmm? But in order for you to be all that you can be, he has to be in the picture too. Hmm? Because you just need someone to love. It's an old song. I've been around a while. So, uh, <laughs> so here, he begins the fourth chapter by glorifying the yoga that he's talked about. Although he's just directly talked about the yoga of karma, hmm? selfless action, 
and talked about how it's synonymous with knowing. It's kind of knowing in motion, knowing in process. Knowing, that means knowing the self, that will result ultimately, that knowing, in ceasing from action and contemplative life. You have karma as movement and jnana as stillness. What's the problem with this? People often want to move from karma to jnana, from movement in relation to things that don't endure to the knowledge that I endure and just sit tight. Hmm? Instead of chasing after things that don't endure. But there's a problem here, hmm? in a sense. Action cancels out knowledge. Knowledge cancels out action. Hmm? In other words, when we move in the world in relation to things that don't endure, well, and we are attached to them, this is, this, this is ignorance, and, this, and the result is suffering. If we stop taking and moving in relation to things that don't endure, hmm, we may come to know the self, we may come to Atmaram, hmm, we may feel satisfied that we don't have to move, but movement is good, <laughs> actually. If you're really full, then you do move. Similar reason that if you, we move out of a sense of emptiness, and it's true, we feel we lack something, so we move. We owe, we owe. That's another way of looking at it, so off to work we go. We've taken, now we owe, so we're in an obligatory sense, we're moving. Gosh, can we take a rest? Hmm? So the, the, the bait is come to knowledge. No, sit. Hmm? If you're full, why move? But the Gaudiya's reason and the Gita reasons as well. Now, if you're full, there's another kind of movement. Hmm? Not out of necessity to have hmm? the vacuous sense of being derived from having. Huh. We have nothing, only an appearance of having. The sense of I derived from that having is as false as the ownership that we've laid claim to. Hmm? When in fact we're thieves, nothing belongs to us. So, so to give, to give up the taking. That's part of loving, not taking. Is there any more to it than that? Is there any more to loving than not taking? Much more, right? There's the giving. So, who you give to? There has to be another. Again, we come to this. In relation to whom we, the part can really understand our fullness in every sense of the term. We may understand that I'm not matter, but you have not understood what you are. We are the jiva, the atma, cannot be defined without understanding its potential. It has a certain potential that in a certain environment it will be activated, realized. In the material environment it's realized to some extent, but it comes out all wrong because we've identified with matter. So we have a personhood, desires and so forth, and life hmm? that ends. It doesn't end happily ever after. It, it, it's, it's unfortunate. But we want it to let all the movies, you know, you want it. Of course, now you have the postmodern movies and they tell it more like it is. Hmm. What is it? It's a, <laughs> it's a problem. It's like, oh, I didn't get the point or there's too many... Uh, 
that's material life. That's an accurate portrayal, right? <laughs> but the feel-good movies, this is, this is what... <laughs> the feel-good movies. Hmm? Hmm? The, the Gita is saying, come this way, it's not just a movie. You can feel good forever. Hmm? You can know yourself. And knowing yourself means knowing your potential. What is our potential? The potential to be a person. Hmm? And all of that means. In fact, it's a good reason not to pursue meditation. If meditation is advocated in such a way as to say, look, you're not a man, you're not a woman, you're an atma, you're a pulsating unit of consciousness, a witness, and you're blissful unto yourself, and, and love is an illusion only, you have, you have good reason to say, well, it may sound good, but I'm not interested. But the love you're pursuing is only temporary. So, well, I'll take temporary anyway, some of it. I want something. I'll take a little, a little temporary love anyway. Hmm? I, I, my point is you're justified in making this kind of argument. Bhakti comes full circle to us and says, there is love. Hmm? There is movement. You can say, look, you're moving in relation to things that don't endure. Problem. Know thyself and sit. You might say, well, I, I want to move around. Hmm? But no, someone might reason. You are a unit of consciousness. Consciousness is everywhere. You don't need to go anywhere. You're already everywhere. Sarvagata. It could be interpreted in this way. You're everywhere. No need to go anywhere. Hmm? But I want to go somewhere. <laughs> What's the problem with being everywhere? There's nowhere to go. What's the problem of knowing everything? There's nothing to do now. I already know everything. Hmm? So bhakti comes full circle. As action cancels out knowledge, knowledge cancels out action, love involves both knowledge and a very essential kind of knowledge. No extra baggage. When you love, you know what to do. And you know how to act. Hmm? So Krishna's spoken about karma, action, and how to make that action somewhat wise and how it will lead to the kind of wisdom that will retire action in relation to the world, but he wants to take us further to another kind of action, another kind of movement. Yes, one could conclude that if you're full, why move? But one could reason further, as the Gaudias do, if you're full, then you would be dancing. You would be moving in another way, celebrating your fullness. Not moving because of a sense of emptiness, but moving out of fullness. So this is the movement in transcendence, which causes variegatedness, which is essential for loving. If ultimate reality is is, is of a loving nature, there must be variety there. There must be movement there. There must be you, and there must be him. And here he wants to begin talking about himself. Having talked about yoga in this chapter, he says what? Imam vibhashvate yogam ahamavyayam. He says to Arjuna, you know this yoga that I've talked to you about, I want to instill in you some faith in it. So let me tell you about its history. He says, oh, long, long time ago, it's been around forever. Avyayam, it's imperishable. I spoke it millions of years ago, to, to the sun god. Hmm. So 
in a sense, Krishna seeks to like to strengthen Arjuna's faith in this transrational method of knowing that he's advocating, which is hard to do because we're now trying to go in an opposite way that we've been going for our whole life. We're going in a way by, of acquisition, and we think that by by thinking we know when thoughts are getting in the way of our knowing, and acquisition is like going up the down escalator. We're not getting anywhere. We're just going, we're getting into going to debt. Hmm? So we've got to move in a different way, and it's peculiar, and the inner world, the subjective world, although it's the homeland where the self resides, the inner landscape, it's, it's somewhat new to us. We're, coming, we're humans now. We're, we're coming out. We're coming out of the fold of material nature. We're feeling there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. And there is, and it's you. And it's you in terms, in consideration of your potential to love, ultimately. So in order to instill faith in Arjuna, in this yoga, which is a challenge, hmm? he says, let me tell you about it, it's been around forever. It's long, it's, it's got a long history. This is not a new thing I'm telling you about here. It's, it's been around, it's got a track record, hmm? and so forth. So he emphasizes the, the antiquity of the teaching. Hmm. Just like if I say to you, oh, he went to an Ivy League school. What's the implication of the Ivy League? It means it's been there forever. There's ivy growing on the walls. It's been there for, you know, it's like, it can be relied upon. It's produced uh, scholars. You know, people get good jobs coming out of there or something like that. Or you could go to Maharishi Mahesh University in, you know, Fairfield, Iowa. Might be better on it, but, yeah, but it's not an Ivy League school. Um, so the idea is that, again, as we said earlier, also tenure and um, endurance uh, lends credibility. So Krishna seeks to give more credibility by citing the kind of the history of the teaching. And in order to do that, he has to start talking about himself now. Suddenly he has to talk about himself. Now, I said the first six chapters are all about you. The second six chapters, Krishna starts speaking about himself. Some people get to the second six chapters and go, well, hold on. It was cool when he talked about me and I was amazing. But now he's like, sounds a little, self, <laughs> a little self-centered here. What are you saying about himself? But you should not misunderstand. In the Gita, Krishna does not speak about himself. No. Krishna speaks about bhakti. And it just so happens, in order to speak about bhakti, he has to speak about himself. He's actually speaking about bhakti. But bhakti means, from the Sanskrit verbal root, bhaj, it means to, to it means like give and take. That's what it means. The give and take. The, 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 the sharing. So there's a, there's a dualism. There's two there. Right? So he has to talk about himself, humble as he is. He has to talk about himself because he's talking about bhakti, about love, about devotion. And he happens to be, as it turns out, the perfect object of love. How, how could the absolute be otherwise if we as a unit of consciousness in touch with psychic matter create a whole world of emotions, feelings, fascinating as they are. Hmm? 
then the unit of consciousness must have the potential to be a feeler, an experiencer, hmm? have an emotional life. Hmm? And the fire, the source, then rightfully um, named Rasaraj, the king of rasa, the king of feeling, taste. Hmm? That center to which, in relation to which, all the atmas can find a loving, emotional uh, life that is enduring, never-ending, and is not in competition with one another. It's said by Sanatana Prabhu that amongst Krishna's friends in Sakyarasa, every one of them thinks Krishna loves me the most, and every one of them is right. This is a different math here. We've entered into a different, a different realm. Hmm? Krishna's introducing that here in this brief section in the fourth chapter about the virtues of knowledge. Hmm? A brief section on avatar tattva. Hmm? So he says two things. He says, I'm, I'm talking about this yoga. I've been talking about Let me tell you, it has a long history. I'm involved in the history. I'm teaching it to you. I taught it a long time ago. Hmm? And then he says, evam parampara praptam imam raja shayobidu sakalena mahata yoganashta parantapa. He says, this knowledge, he introduces the idea how this knowledge comes to the world through a chain of succession of teacher. Parampara means one after another. One after another. That's the literal meaning. Hmm? Why is that? Why is that one after another? He says, "Sakalena mahata yoganashta parantapa." He says that by the influence of time, sometimes the teaching becomes covered. What is time? Later in the Gita, he says, "Time I am." In one sense, Krishna is saying, "I cover my own teaching, so that I may shed light on one great teacher, or another great teacher, at different times." who are my devotees, who you should learn from about me. He's introducing himself here, and he introduces at the same time the Guru Parampara, which is the way of knowing him through a succession of saints who hand down the knowledge hmm? and, and, and in a particular way they hand down the knowledge. They hand down the knowledge in such a way that it's enhanced. Some, nowadays some people think if you say only as much as the previous teacher, nothing more, then you're okay. Anything more, you're suspect. Hmm? It should be just the opposite. Hmm? To say more about the same, a subject in which everyone is a student in relation to forever, even the teachers, the greatest teachers, such as its nature. It's said in Bhagavatam, the sequel, the theological sequel to the Gita in the second canto, that Krishna does not know the limits of his own surup shakti, his own yoga maya. He doesn't know the limits. Later in the Bhagavatam, the Shruti glorify him. It's very beautiful. Krishna says, oh, the, he, 
he, he glorifies the Upanishads, personified. You are the knowers of everything. They say, how can we know everything? Hmm? Even you don't know everything about yourself. So Krishna says, so you mean I'm not omniscient? They say no. <laughs> so they're very smart. So they reply, no. Hmm? You don't know your own limits. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not omniscient? They said, no, you don't have any limits. Hmm? Your Sarupa Shakti is always in newer in newer ways manifesting uh, things to please you, hmm? to, to satisfy you. That's what it does. Hmm? So the knowledge about Krishna, what to speak of the knowledge about Krishna, the knowledge about the world is unlimited. There's unlimited atmas, hmm? unlimited worlds, even in the material world. It's not like you go so far in space and time, and that's the end of the material world. Hmm? So there's always new things to find out about the world, and the world's always changing. So in that sense, also, it's, uh, you can say that the laws are changing even. Find out new laws, and you find it's different. It's quite possible someone's pulling the strings, and changing the laws, and so forth. So different ways to look at it. But the knowledge about the material world is, is unlimited. Hmm? But to speak about the knowledge about about Krishna, Krishna himself does not know the limits of his of his own potency because it has no limits. Hmm? So the teacher in the parampara one after another, hmm, really is unfolding it more. Like a flower, if you shine the sun on it, it opens and opens. This is an ever-unfolding lotus. Hmm? And time and circumstance change, hmm? so the need to present it in a different light, and so on and so forth. In light of current thought um, at the time, Vishwana Chakravitakura makes a nice statement. In the most most used verse amongst the Goswamis to define the Guru, Tasmad Guru Papadyeta Jignasu Shayutamam. Shabde Parecha Nishnatam Brahmani Upasham Ashrayam. Shabde Parecha Nishnatam. Nishnatam means he or she, the Guru, knows the Shabda Pare. From a theistic perspective, the sound, the, the sound current, the Upanishad, the revelation, hmm? nishnatam, inside out and backwards. And Chakravartitakur makes a comment. Not only does the guru, he or she, have the knowledge, hmm? comprehensive knowledge of the sound, hmm? in terms of its essence, but other books too, he says. Must know other books too. It means, <laughs> know a little bit what what the currents of thought are, so that you may present the teaching in light of them, and so forth. So, at any rate, Krishna has introduced this parampara here because he's introduced himself, hmm? and just by way of talking about the antiquity of the teaching, as I say, to give faith to Arjuna, and talking about himself, he talks about the way in which he's known, the channel through which he's known in the world, hmm? through a succession of teachers. Hmm? He's talking about his devotees, in other words. Hmm? When the teaching becomes obscured by the influence of time, he is time. Hmm? How, can, 
How can a material nature obscure the transcendental teachings? If we look at time as a manifestation of Krishna, we can say his hand is involved. Why does he obscure it? That he may shed light, which is his greatest pleasure, hmm? on one of his devotees and put them in a position to illumine others. Hmm? That is Guru Parampara. And you have to look to see that. Where is the Guru Parampara? Where is it going? How is it coming? It's here, it's there. Hmm? It goes like this. Hmm? Not necessarily in a straight line. Hmm? Where the teaching is prominently manifest. Hmm? I'm there. You cannot say, Krishna, you said you were over here. I went over there. Now you're saying you're over there. Which is it? You just go there. Hmm? We should be essence seekers. Try to gravitate towards real substantial uh, association. That's where Krishna will be found. Hmm? But Arjun, he has a... Um, well, Krishna says, so... Hmm, my teaching comes through the succession and it tells us about this. That's Saiva some was it Saivaya Mahatya Yoga Praktaparantapa. Or excuse me. Yes, Yoga Praktaparanta. Bhaktosi Nice verse, he says. And I'm telling it to you. I told it to the Son of God. It comes through the succession of teachers, and I'm here today telling you, Arjun, Bhaktosi Mesakacheti Rahasyam. I'm telling you this rahasyam, this secret, secret knowledge. Rahasyam is a word used in Bhagavatam, in the Chatur Slok, the essential slokas of the Bhagavatam, that speaks about praying. Hmm? A very Gaudiya word. Every other Vaishnava Sampradaya speaks about the goal in terms of mukti, one kind of mukti or another. Prem is a very Gaudiya word. Prem prayojan. The goal is prem. Hmm? Rahasyam, what's implied here in this entire verse is that although he's been speaking about karma yoga, this chapter he's going to go on to speak about jnana yoga. From the very beginning when he spoke about yoga, he said, Neha This is bhakti. That yoga in which any effort made is effort is, is, is something gained and never lost. In karma yoga, jnana yoga, these are under the influence of rajas and, and, and sattva. So they cannot have a permanent result. Ultimately, kind of, underneath here, he's speaking about bhakti. And he says, Arjun, I'm going to tell you about this yoga. It's going to take a couple more chapters, but it's really about bhakti. And, I'm t- and, that's a, and it's a, this is a secret kind of yoga, the secret of the Gita. Hmm? Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you, because you are my sakha, my friend, and my devotee. Hmm? Arjuna, of course, is bright, and so he, he, he likes what he heard, but he brings up a question. He says, well, you know, wait a minute here. You said that you spoke this to the Son of God, but, you know, you're my friend, as you just said. We grew up together, so, like, how did you do that? <laughs> Thousands of years ago, he spoke to the Son of God. Like, I know people take other births and stuff like that, but they don't remember the previous ones. Hmm? And humans don't instruct gods. And you're a human, right, Krishna? We're friends. Hmm? And so he gives our Krishna the chance. You see, it's very beautiful. 
Arjuna gives Krishna the chance to kind of toot his own horn. He has to now speak about himself. The devotee is forcing him by the question to, to, to speak about his omniscience. Oh, okay, if you need it, I'll have to. I'm omniscient, okay? Can we get back to, you know, being friends? Hmm? Again, this omniscience is a problem. Omnipresence is a problem. Hmm? Leela is the solution. If you know everything and you're already everywhere, there's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do, so when you're bored, you play. There's Leela. There's a solution to uh, beyond omniscience, beyond omnipresence, a more comprehensive existence than omnipresence. And how is it depicted? In a rural village, a small place. Hmm? It is it is a more profound existence and a more profound knowing than omnipresence and omniscience. Because why? Because of the measure of affection that the place is 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 about. Hmm? The movement from the physical world to the mental world. So many possibilities. Physical world is limited possibilities compared to the mental world. My Guru Maharaj used to say, well, in this world you can have a gold, you can see gold and you can see a mountain, but don't think you're going to find a gold mountain. But in your mind you can have a gold mountain with a diamond on top. So as you move from the material hierarchy from the physical to the mental, it becomes more spacious, more possibilities. It also becomes more affectionate because affections are in the mental world. Feelings are in the mental world. Hmm? Feelings are not in the physical world. They're all in the mental world. Hmm? If you don't pay attention, you might not feel it. From, 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 from mind to intellect, hmm? it becomes bigger. You get, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you love and feel based on your mental emotional life, it's one thing, but if you've thought it out, you can have a more meaningful emotional relationship with someone, mm-hmm. rather than just one based on infatuation. you thought it out and realized, there are going to be ups and downs, but I'm going to ride the, ride the waves. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, from physical to mental to intellectual to, to consciousness. Oh, how big is that? We can't even say we could measure a little bit previously in the other realms, but now consciousness. We, we, we've entered into the, the land of the measurer himself. <laughs> How do you measure a ruler? How can a ruler... I mean, we, so we are the measurer. Hmm? So we've le- entered into the land of the immeasurable. Hmm? And the self is, is like Brahman, hmm? all-pervading consciousness. How big is that? How spacious is that? How much is that that entire an end to all the, the entire world of exploitation, all the taking? It's ended. Peace, shanti, 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 complete peace. But end. As I said earlier, not taking is part of love. So there's more feeling there in that sense. Hmm? Because the taker is not a feeler. You understand? Hmm? 
When we're just taking from people, we're seeing people as objects, we're not really feeling them for what they are. So you're kind of cold-hearted. So when we move to not taking, enter into Brahman, there's more feeling, in a sense, as I'm speaking about, than the whole world of feelings, material world. And then we move from this, like, immeasurable to what seems to be measurable. Vaikuntha, a world, and Brahman has a form, four-handed, no doubt, so adhoksaja, extraordinary, hmm? transcendental, different. But it seems to have gotten smaller. We moved away from names and forms, nam and rupa of the world, hmm? which were just creations of the mind, got beyond them and now we're talking about form again but we're talking about the form of affection love has a shape how can it be taken advantage of art requires a canvas from the abstract to the concrete so love has a has a shape reverential love has the shape, for example, of Narayan and his innumerable avatars. Many, many faces, innumerable faces of, of God. Hmm? And from the big Vaikuntha, we go to the very, very small Vrindavan. It's just a village. Uh, it's like, a, it's not even to think about in Vaikuntha. That place? Hmm? But as it's depicted in this way, small, rural, unknowing, hmm? village people. But what's happening in all this is we're moving, as I said, in, in, in terms of affection. The more affection, the bigger the place is. The more affection, the more profound the existence is, and the more profound the knowing is, even when where you are and what you know seems unimportant when you love. If you love someone, you can live under a rock with them. Hmm? And the whole world can burn up. It doesn't matter. Hmm? And as, 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 as living under a rock would seem an undesirable existence, if it happens to be a loving one, hmm? there's no place bigger than that. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lived in a room, eight by eight, something like stone room with no windows. What kind of love came out of that room? Hmm? He melted in the room. What was going on in his heart? The gambira. It means deep. The deep insights he had about Krishna Leela. That that drove him to his madness. Hmm? And in the pursuit of his madness, a method came out by which we can follow and enter into that same madness it's wise love, but it's mad. Hmm? Krishna says here, I come into the world as I am. I'm human-like. Arjuna's saying, well, wait a minute. Yeah, we're friends. We were together. You said you were previously, you were existing previously, you taught the sun god. Again, he's giving opportunity for Krishna to reveal some Aishvarya so that people 
won't misunderstand his Madhurya. The Bhagavatam is a beautiful text that in which the author walks a tightrope between what we call Aishvarya or majesty and Madhurya, sweetness. There cannot be sweetness without majesty. Hmm? So he's God, but he's human-like, hmm? playing back and forth between. So here we find this same thing. Arjuna, Krishna says, you're my friend, I love you, I'm going to tell you the secret. Hmm? Arjuna says, well, hold that. People might misunderstand. You said, you're my friend, we're buddies, and so forth. Um, but you said you spoke this teaching millions of years ago. How can you do both? Hmm? So he gives an opportunity for Krishna to reveal some Aishvarya Gyan, hmm? knowledge of his omniscience, which is like a secondary thing. The main thing is we're friends. So let me share a secret with you. This is the main thing. Hmm? But, oh yeah, there's some background to that. The reason I'm, in one sense, I'm worthy of being the friend of everyone is because of who I am. I just happen to be the center. So he answers Arjun's question that, how could you have been, you know, we're friends, how could you have been living thousands of years ago and spoke to the sun god? And what? So Krishna speaks then about his omniscience, about his eternality. Hmm? The tattva, that underlies his avatara, his crossing tata ava from up to down, his manifesting in the world, hmm? as if as if one of us, hmm? With, manifesting within our frame of reference to take us beyond it hmm? and, uh, and, and enable us to realize our potential to love. Hmm? So some tattva underlying the appearance of Krishna, the avatar, here he's talking about himself. He's the avatari, appearing as the avatar. The avatars are basically different emotional moments in the life of the Godhead personified. You, you just imagine if you had a feeling and then you could make it turn into a person, that feeling. Hmm? The players in the Leela, they're like, or the avatars, or the Shakti Tattva, manifestations of Radha, they're like one feeling of Radha, or one feeling of Krishna. Hmm? Incomplete persons, it would seem, from our human perspective, but even a partial uh, emotional reality of Krishna personified is more real than our whole emotional life and personhood, materially speaking, put together. Hmm? So, many avatars, he's the avatari, he says, I come under my own shakti, I come under the influence of bhakti, my own shakti, my swarup shakti. I move under that. The more the shakti is manifest, the more the God is moving. In Brahman, the shakti is not manifest. God is still. Hmm? Bhakti is creating the variety. Bhakti is making, making the Godhead move. Bhakti is doing the impossible. because How can he who is everywhere move? The answer is by bhakti. <laughs> by bhakti he can move, even though he's everywhere. That is called Leela. Hmm? And Krishna says here that I've come here. This is my Leela. Hmm? I come under the influence of Bhakti. I don't come under any... That's an important point. I don't come under any other influence. I don't come here like ordinary people come under the influence of karma. I come under the influence of Bhakti. And in the world, these two forces are moving. The, the, the force of karma and the force of Bhakti is always in the world. Hmm? If we're lucky, 
What does that mean? If you get the right association, you can come under the influence of bhakti. Get the bija of bhakti, the seed of bhakti, and change the course of your life. So again, he's introduced the parampara here. He's talking about bhakti, he's talking about himself. He's talking about in a very nutshell way, giving avatar tattva, how to love him. Hmm? And how he comes to the world out of love only. He doesn't even come directly for the suffering of others, which he has no experience of, and thus lacks the potential, full potential to be empathetic. If you have experience of the suffering of another, it certainly enhances your capacity to be empathetic towards them. If you have no experience of another person, if someone says, I'm suffering from depression, and you, you don't have no experience of it, you say, well, hey, I tell you what, you know, uh, no reason to feel bad. Sun's out. Sun's out, you know. Guy looks at you like, you know, the sun's not out. Can't you see that? The sun's not out. Hmm? But you have any experience of it? It's difficult to be empathetic. Hmm? Krishna has no experience of material suffering. Thank God, he doesn't. Because experience of material suffering results from ignorance, not from knowing. It comes from ignorance, from attachment. That's ignorance. That gives rise to material suffering. We're glad that God doesn't have experience of that. Therefore, he can be God and, and, and be, a, be, a, be a, a part of the solution, and the whole solution, rather than the problem. So, of course, he, he, he knows about the suffering of others, just like we know, well, we kind of know, that if a bug dies on our windshield on the way to the temple, I guess it must have hurt. Anyway, keep driving. It's not like we're going to get all up in arms about it. Bugs are dying on windshields everywhere. You know, we know it, but it's kind of removed from our experience, uh, in a sense. Krishna knows the mechanics of the suffering. He teaches how to, how to, how to end it. But he, his important thing here is, he says... I'm giving this to you because you are my devotee. Krishna only interacts with his devotees. Hmm? We can only have access to him through, through bhakti. Bhakti is his own sarup shakti. He always stays within the orbit of his sarup shakti. He never comes within the orbit of the maya shakti. And the jiva shakti does not have the power unto itself even to dispel the maya shakti what to speak of overwhelm Krishna, like Bhakti can. Hmm? But if Bhakti comes into our life, very easily the cloud, the smoke of Maya will be dispelled and we will have the capacity to overwhelm Krishna. And that's what Krishna means. God overwhelmed. Hmm? Overwhelmed. And at the disposal of his devotee. Here he is the chariot driver of Arjuna. And Krishna's Arjuna saying, Get him, come on. Taxi, let's go. And Krishna's driving. This is bhakti. Hmm? It's turning Brahman, in a sense. The love of the devotee corresponds with the form of God is relative to the love of the devotee. Hmm? This is beta beda. The love of the devotee and Bhagawan, they're one. 
different faces of God, what's behind it? Different kinds of love. As I often say, you may not believe in God, that's fine, but it's hard not to believe in love of God. We see it. And we, we define it, too, in a broad sense, by, in terms of its being ego-effacing. It involves not taking. There are saints in all traditions, right? They have historically had the greatest impact on the world and will continue to have it. They stand like lighthouses on the shore to us, bobbing in the ocean of material existence. And they say, there is land, there is land, I'm standing on it, it's here. Go this way. And there's no meaning to love of God, then, if there's no God. We could say, I don't believe in God, I haven't seen him. Well, we could say, here, look at this person. Look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You don't believe in Krishna, the myth of Krishna? What about the historical, empirical reality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's simply uttering the name of Krishna? There's no person in human history, in the religious history of the world, that personifies more the ecstasy of, of love of God than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's an objective statement. This, what the Goswamis did, the, the writers and original like founders of the, of the lineage, they, they, they f- located the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on the scriptural map and, and said, this is what this is. This is what this is. It's a very extraordinary thing. It's Krishna in existential crisis, trying to figure out himself. And what is it in him that makes Radha the way she is that drives him mad. He thinks, everybody worships me, I'm God, but people don't realize it, but I'm attracted to her. Am I God? Maybe I'm not God. And so he thinks about it deeply, and he realizes, oh, there's something in me that she sees that makes her like, so I am God. But what it is in me that makes her the way she is, that makes her attractive, I can only know that from her vantage point. And I long to do that. Everyone longs to know themselves. What is it about me that makes you like that? Hmm? Oh, he wants to taste her experience. Hmm? This was the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They located him, Krishna on it. This is very profound. Hmm? You can cite different verses and say, this, may, this verse predicts Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with that. Well, they can be interpreted so many different ways. But what the Goswamis really did was they plumbed the depths of the psychology of God, of Bhagavan, Krishna. Hmm? They really understand Krishna, the concept of Krishna. There has to be a Radha. There ha- all these things have to happen. There has to be a Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If you understand Krishna properly, there has to be a Gaurila. Hmm? And that Gorlila is mentioned in this section. This verse is coming in this, just after this section of Abhatar Tattva, connected to it. 
As they surrender unto me, I reciprocate accordingly. If we say, okay, let's take this formula. Krishna says, as people surrender to me, I reciprocate in kind. Okay, let's play it out. Hmm? Where was it played out the fullest? Hmm? Those milkmaidens of Vrindavan, they played it out. Hmm? And what happened? He said, I give up. I cannot reciprocate in kind. Your love itself hmm, is your own reward. If I was to do anything to repay you, I would propose this. Once in every day of Brahma, I will appear as a sadhu. And I will teach about you. You gopis to everybody and make devotees for you. Hmm? This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? Krishna Avatar. Hmm? He comes to the world for his devotees. Which devotees? Hmm? He says, Arjuna is asking, well, you're omniscient, so you know, and you're eternal. Okay, you've explained that. So why do you come to the world then? What would be the need? He says, oh, there's a need. Hmm? Believe me, there's a need. He says, yada, yada, ki, what does he say? Yada, yada, hi, dharmasya. Glanir bhavati bharata abhutanam adharmasam tadatmanam sijamiham and what? Paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya traduskritam dharmasam stapanata sambhavami juge juge I have a need to come. What is the need? Paritranaya sadhunam There are some devotees in this world and they can no longer live without me. Hmm. Oh, I come. I manifest my lila, and they take birth in that lila, hmm. and they get an association of my entourage, and they they qualify. They, therefore, they, they, by that they become qualified hmm, to enter into my lila and never return. Hmm. I come for them, for those devotees who are weeping in separation. I'm controlled by them. I cannot remain separate from them. Hmm? I come to dissipate the, the, the darkness, of the, the dark night of the, the, their soul. Hmm? And huh, while I'm here, as a byproduct of that, I establish dharma and other things also. Hmm? That's a, on, 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 as, as an aside. Hmm? I have compassion, he says, for my devotees. And they are so deserving of it. And they themselves are abodes of compassion. And they have experienced the material suffering. So they are my Kripa Shakti. Vancha Kalpa Tarubhyascha, Kripa Sindhubhyevacha, Patitanam Pavane, Go to them. In them you will find me. We'll talk about that. How Krishna is found in, in in the context of bhakti, as we move from these rather heady topics of tattva and a rather long discussion. Forgive me. To as the night goes on, we'll we'll, we'll change the pacing. We'll, we'll turn to the leela. Hmm? We can just throw out the tattva for a while and and the sweetness of it all, from the philosophy uh, to the feeling, something like that. So, what's the time? Oh goodness, eight.
Okay, so we'll, we'll stop now. And 8, 9, 10, 11. So... When should we when should we re- regather? Forty five minutes, half hour. Hmm. It's eight, so nine. Okay, so we'll meet at eight forty five. You can chant Japa. Some devotees. Nine. Well, we'll meet at quarter to nine. You can do Japa, Kirtan. Um, I think. There's a fire. I don't know if they started outside, so you can sit around the fire and get to know one another and think about these weird ideas <laughs> we've uh, run through. And we'll gather again, and then we'll talk for a shorter period of time, like half an hour, we'll have a break, a half hour, something like that, until we reach the, uh, the, the midnight uh, kirtan in appearance. Shri Krishna Janmastami ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivrinda ki jai. Gold Premanandu. Oh.